Does anybody have anything that they need to say, get off their chest before we go up? No. No. That you, that you love me? <laughs> she always tries to hold my hand. Welcome to The Bull and the Badger, a podcast where Asian American culture and mental health intersect. <gasps> oh, girl, I did it. I did it. I didn't even stumble or lisp or anything. I know. I know. I, I say this every time, too, that we should just stop once we've got it perfect. <laughs> and then loop I, it. <laughs> yes. You know, why haven't I thought about that? Like, actually, like, not recording live. Right. And just having a... No. Then it's then it's less fun to see if we won't screw up. I'm all about failure, learning from failure, <laughs> for learning with failure. Yeah, that's the name of your memoir. <laughs> no, mine is um, a Vanessa Yu story. It's uncomfortable advances. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly how that's going down. Um, well, you are hearing us correctly. Vanessa and I are in the same room. What? She has, even after moving up to NorCal, come down to visit me so kindly at least, you know, three times a month, like, as needed. Three, just, t- three times a month? Just kidding. I'm oh. just being sarcastic. Now you make me sound like your period. <laughs> Dude, does anyone get their period three oh, times a month? Well, three days out of five. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh, I think we've learned something about Vanessa. Uncomfortable advances. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Awkward. Um, so what are we talking about today? Well, today we have the topic of sisters. Um, right. And I guess, as, as some of our listeners might know, uh, you have a sister, I have a sister. I have two, actually. You do have two. Yeah. But it's not, I mean, they're not even one person. They're not even identical twins, are they? They are. What? Yes. Uh oh, reevaluating life based on this new information. You're how how much older are they than you? Four and a half years. Four and a half years, and mine is actually four years older than me. Mm. Huh? How does that work out? Anyway, <laughs> what? They they're just, they were in the same year. They all went to Arcadia High. Yeah. Um. What do you what do you tell people about your sister? Sisters, um, <laughs> that's the sound of Vanessa hitting oh my gosh. her forehead on the whatever. That's Can you called. not tell Irene and or Lisa <laughs> that you that totally forgot happened. that the other existed? See, the thing is, they don't know which one I forgot. <laughs> N- neither do I. So they both can be a little miffed. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, uh, what do I tell them about my sisters? I don't know. They're like really, really great sisters. I think of them as um, like a second pair of parents a little bit they are very protective and very um caring and always happy to give advice and things like that um super supportive and I always feel like they kind of extend that sisterly advice toward my friends as well I don't know I always felt like when we were trying to figure out school and careers and stuff they'd always kind of be there to you know give us a little information on what they're doing or at least 
you know, put us in co- in contact with someone who does. Um, but I do have a funny story about when my sister is recently. I want to hear all the funny stories. I have stories. a sister, um, Lisa, who one of the twins just recently moved to Florida and she's got like a group of tattoos. Like, and she just oh, gets, yeah. she likes to get tattoos like pretty often. Um, and my other sister and myself, neither of us have any tattoos and I don't think we really plan on having any, just nothing against tattoos. Not cool. It's just not for us. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're actually both visiting her in Florida, um, next month. And she always calls me right before work and, and this time she said, so when you come visit next month, are you going to want a tattoo? Because if you do want a tattoo, I have to call now and make an appointment because it books up really fast. But if you don't want one, then I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and Where I'm like, I never what? made any kind of suggestion that that's what I wanted to do. I mean, we were just going to hang out and go to Disney World with, you know, the family and stuff like that. So that's how prepared and and on it on it my sister is she's a tattoo like proselytizer right (laughs) so that's so that's definitely a no on the tattoos um but you know she's also very influential in my life so don't be surprised if i come back with a tattoo that i never meant to get in the first place i'm i'm hoping it's a drunken tattoo those always are good stories well we don't really drink a whole lot so maybe not okay (sighs) anyway Or, or you should you should fake that that's what happened you should be like yeah that's what happened right instead of poor decision making (laughs) um how about yours when i talk about my sister it's always kind of uh a little bit i don't want to say muddled's not the word but i try to be fair (laughs) yes because we don't have the best relationship um we're not friends we're like we're relatives we're sisters we're like in the same family and uh, if something happened to one of the other, we'd, we'd, we'd support each other, but we're not, like, calling each other up. We are, Our text messages are usually reserved for, you know, like, one, you know, one-liners. <laughs> What'd you get, Mom and Dad? Okay, tell me how much it is. <laughs> we'll split it. <laughs> Did you remember the birthday cards? No. <laughs> Can I come see my nieces? You know, it's, like, very, like, staccato. Right. Like, and I think... Uh, it's in, it's interesting other people's impressions of her because I think, um, you know, she's uh, probably not the friendliest person upon meeting. And uh, <laughs> Crystal always used to, like, shiver when she came into the room. She's like, oh, it's so cold. <laughs> and it's like, I, you know, I don't ever have those kinds of uh, visceral reactions, but I know that sometimes I'm a little bit stressed out around her because we can, like, tread into conversations that aren't going to be safe. Because I think she has just very strong ideas about how the world runs, and they're very opposite from mine. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and at this point in my life, that's how I've interpreted it. Like, we're just really different people. And I know that, but I think, you know, you're not sure, uh, yeah, like, how to deal with that as a kid. Because you're like, everybody else is friends, and you're like mine hates me (laughs) which you know i I didn't think that was true i think we just misunderstood each other for so much of our lives so um uh but i think she always gave interesting advice too because of that i like it was almost like i would say that we were like more co-conspirators sometimes than we were sisters like there were times where like i'd have 
she's like, when you talk to mom and dad, tell them too much, like be too honest. And then they won't ask you about other things. Oh, wow. She, yeah. That's right. Strategy. That's like, that's like, I mean, like she's just like strategic that way. Yeah. And it's just, I was like, that's she's next. clearly the oldest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some next level, like Asian, like Jedi mind <laughs> trick thing right there. So, I mean, but in general, I've always like looked up to her, um, because she's older and I always used to want to do the same things as her. Like I remember just like liking all the same music and I mean, it was a good education though. Like, I mean, everybody should love SWV, right? (laughs) Right. It's just like, why not? And if you didn't have an older sister, you weren't going to know, right. You weren't going to know the wonders of SWV and salt and pepper (laughs) and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, I was thinking about the other day, baby face, what baby face? <laughs> what, baby face how did that too. even come up? I just think of him in the same like era as SWV and. Okay, well, I'm gonna surprise you with a baby face song later. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks. Um, well, I think this is a really great moment to bring in our guest, mostly because I've run out of gas of on now not to talk crap about my sisters. <laughs> like, let's quickly transition. Um, so, uh, I am privileged enough to know some people who are super cool mainly jenny yang and atsuko and we've had them on the podcast and they're doing a show together um hosted by the person who's our guest anna kana and yeah i i showed up thank you sf great show um and it was like right after election so it's like everybody's like we need to laugh (laughs) (laughs) let's laugh right now um so and then I was like, "Hey, let's let's talk, let's talk." And I, and you, your set was really interesting because I think it ran the gamut of just your personal life and just like more topical things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what your deal is. Um, I I do know that you know, like you're generally famous and you're an actress, but can you introduce yourself? Like, how would you like to be introduced? Oh, sure. Um, I normally introduce myself as like an actress and content creator, mm-hmm. uh, and that's it. Much more succinct. Yeah. Yeah. And and less awkward. Um, Okay. When when, when you think of content creator, like, what does that mean for you? Uh, For me, content creation, I mean, content creation itself can kind of be a variety of things when you're talking about the digital world. But for me, content creation is more like um, I'll take a monologue and I will interrupt it with sketch cutaways. And so I approach my videos more like an essay or an op-ed piece that I then try to make very funny. Is that your creative process? Like you mm-hmm. just, you sit down, you write an essay? Uh, usually I'll start with a title first uh, and try, try to think of like, that's my log line or that's my thesis. That's what people are going to take away from this video. And then yes, I'll try to work top down by writing that, writing out that essay and then in- interjecting like comedy between it. I've been, and then I've been watching just cause like, I was like, prep yourself like study for the exam <laughs> this is it this is it tell me how i do at the end please yeah. <laughs> as an Asian, i need grades on my life um but you know i was wondering if you have like writing partners or people who are editing your your you know your thoughts mm-hmm. and i and i feel like somebody if not then you are you're on it and I always need somebody like April to kind of come in and go actually here's what you're trying to say and I can we can we can get your 10 words down to five and Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you're working in conjunction with other people um 
Writing wise, no, it's all me. Um, but I am fortunate enough that I am able to hire like an assistant and an editor and a DP and a graphics effects artist. So my videos, uh, they typically cost about 1500 to 2000 to make per video. Um, and it's a whole bunch of people behind me now, which is wonderful. Nice. Yeah. Having a team. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I love your videos. Uh, I think they're so smart and they're so on point and yet so accessible. And like, it just rang very true to me as like, like you are sort of like the big sister of the internet, oh, aren't thanks. you? Like giving really honest advice that I would have loved to hear, you know, 10, <laughs> yeah, 15 years ago. When we were like 13 right? and idiots. You're just like, <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> I is, is that kind of uh, how people are accessing information about like how I could live life now? Do you think that like the internet has just opened up a world of different possibilities. Cause for me, it was definitely my sister, mm-hmm. but then I knew I wasn't like my sister. So I wasn't sure like, what, what do I do? You know? And yeah. also there's TV obviously, but <clears throat> I feel like, yeah, definitely like teen girls and guys are looking to the internet for advice. I mean, I still do that. I'll still Google like, what do I do? I'm right. in an emotional affair. Right. You know, like, <laughs> Give me the steps I need to take. <laughs> Wait, now that we're all in emotional affairs, we should find out. <laughs> Let's pause. Let's pause right at this point. Check in. Um, is that how that started for you? That specific kind of digital like, content creation? What do you mean if it um, started for more me? advice videos or... I mean, I, uh, I actually started doing sketch comedy on YouTube. So I had a couple of web series and sketches. And then I was like, you know what? I want to try to do the whole like YouTube personality thing. Because I truly do. Uh, I'm, a, I'm very much into self-help. Love those books. I've always mm-hmm. been in therapy. A lot of my videos are things that I work out with my therapist. And then I just regurgitate his advice. Because I'm like, this is qualified <laughs> advice, you know? I'm really paying him. So it should yeah. come back to somehow, right? Exactly. And it kind of feels like like solidifying chapters in your life. You know, right. you like learn the thing, you say the thing, and then it, that's the best way to actually feel like you got what you needed from it mm. by teaching it to someone else. Do you have any favorites? Ooh. Any favorite messages? Um, I loved How to Not Get Raped because... Uh, your, your anti-rape pants? Oh, that oh that one too. Rape prevention leggings. Yeah, I like all the stuff that deals with things that I can unequivocally stand by. You know, you're just like, nope, never gonna back down from this stance. Right. You know. Right. right. Um, and I'm, I, I mean, I'm very passionate about talking about stuff where I feel like there's an actual message behind it versus like all of a video where I get annoyed that people say, oh, never mind, and you're curious about what they were gonna say. Right. Um. So oh. the ones where I can have more substance are definitely my favorites. I love the the um yellow fever. One. Oh God. That one's- Amazing. Now look, there's nothing wrong with having a type. Having a type, knowing what you like, what you're attracted to, that's fine. But yellow fever is when the only prerequisite for me to become your potential partner is the color of my skin? That's cheap. That's offensive. You're an asshole. Go away. Pisses me off so much. Men come up and they're like, all my ex-girlfriends are Asian. Like, what the fuck does that mean to me? That doesn't mean shit to me. That just means you're a racist asshole. You might as well come up to me and be like, I'm a racist asshole. Because then at least I'd be like, oh, he's honest. That's cool. And I'm almost like, I'm embarrassed to say, but it like cleared things up for me a little bit. <laughs> Being like a, you know, early 30 year old woman. I'm like, yeah, because like, you know, something's wrong. Yeah. You can't quite like verbalize exactly why it's wrong. Yeah. And you can't. Having a hard time explaining it to my white husband. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs>
but it's great. Uh, and they made him watch it, and he liked it. So. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Education. Yeah. With humor. Have you noticed any changes? Like, how long have you been making content for? Six YouTube? years. Have you been noticing changes in, like, your ideas and your... Oh, yeah. Stories? I mean, every day I'm like, I don't have anything left to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't have a single opinion left that I haven't <laughs> expressed yet. Um, it does get... It gets so much harder because the, the desire is to try to like just make something that nobody cares about because you're like I, I there's nothing left that I haven't talked about like my depression my anxiety my panic attacks like everything I feel like I've covered so it is that struggle of like how much deeper can I actually go right um and sometimes you can't when you're doing one video a week sometimes like you just have to talk about something that's just mundane and kind of fun yeah um but I can never do that as well as Natalie Tran so I hate those videos <laughs> um but yeah it's a constant struggle to be like what well, can I what else like I'm a three-dimensional complex human being what else is there yeah. to me do you ever feel yourself feeling like too exposed mm. because I with this podcast which is like you know on such a different level but like I feel like sometimes I like reveal too much about myself but then I'll get like, oh, nervous and like want to like, you know, like mm-hmm. pull into myself like a like a turtle, you know, and like hyper, you know, whatever. Did you want to slouch too? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just want to like and then I like don't want to like, I don't know. It's hard to put yourself out there like so, so um, nakedly, I guess. Do you ever feel that way? I mean, I don't think so because I'm an actress, so I naturally want attention. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just part of the profession. But I also feel like the more I've just gotten so used to it, even in and like even in my everyday life, I'm very, very open. Like if a stranger's like, hi, how are you? I'll be like worse. Like today's worse. It's right. terrible. Trump administration or right. whatever mm-hmm. it might be. So I, I feel like I've. Uh, I, I actually prefer it because um, I feel like, oh, there's no, it's very transparent. There's no agenda. A lot of people who are in my audience and I meet them in real life, they feel like they know me. They feel like they're, they understand me, which is mm. nice. Uh, so I probably should be a little bit more worried about that <laughs> for safety reasons, but no. Yeah. <laughs> for safety reasons. <laughs> I think one of your six cats will protect you. Yeah, hopefully. Just shield you with the claws. <laughs> um, and actually, uh, I'm, yeah, I think that's that's when you said that. I I wonder, me saying persona then is unfair, because I think um, when I talk to other artists who are making certain kind of content, like Christina Wong is the first one who comes to mind. Like she did a one woman show where she talks about, you know, um, depression and suicide within the Asian American women population and how to how to combat that and how to like bring awareness. And she said she was playing someone, and. Th- I, th- I wonder if now, like, because of the way the world is going, like, the distance between who you are digitally mm-hmm. and who you are off screen is, that gap is closing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I feel like the more you hone in your voice, the more you kind of have to be yourself. Mm. I mean, I definitely, I mean, there's different parts of myself that I exaggerate on stage. Like with stand up, I'm always a little bit more snarky, a little bit more deadpan with the internet. It's, I'm a little bit more positive and a little bit brighter and, uh, energetic. But I do think that even if you're playing a part of yourself, that's still yourself. Mm. I think that's, that's one thing that like, when people talk about authentic self, mm-hmm. it's it's hard because there's like you turn up the volume on certain parts of yourself in mm-hmm. different moments mm-hmm. and like so like being a chameleon is not it's not valued anymore, right? It's like it's like, oh you're decept 
you know, deceptive. And, you know, like, even people saying, like, oh, Trump just tells it like it is, which he's a liar. So, bah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I'm just, I'm just, um, yeah, processing those kinds of thoughts. Because even in my documentary, that's, that's my life. Yeah, and I think for me, going through life and figuring out who am I and, like, you know, being authentic self, that was really difficult. And the film that I did, it's, it's me on screen and I had to, I had to fight really hard to do it because Mm -hmm. I was fighting with myself Mm -hmm. about, you know, putting my story about depression on screen. It's like, oh no, you're out as, you were depressed, you know? And, and actually like, I think what's interesting is there are a lot less people who have reluctance towards that. But I think at least for me, it was a good process to kind of you know, kind of make that leap. I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, gosh, I think that this whole thing that you and I have been doing from, from your documentary to like the fourth season of the podcast has kind of been a very intensive therapy for both <laughs> of us. <laughs> well, <laughs> now I don't want to do it anymore. I would not have been, I would not be where I am now had I not, had we not done this. And I never... I always kind of just saw it as something we did on the side and then like, you know, our normal life, you know, yeah, went along and, but I'm like, no, I think that this was something that we put in front of ourselves to sort of help ourselves get to, you know, self-realization or, or what have you, honesty with ourselves and facing our issues and working through them and all that stuff. So, wow. <laughs> Exactly. You brought up the um, the comedy show that um, uh, that Anna was hosting. So what exactly sort of attracted you and and, you know, uh, forced you to muster your courage this to invite set up her everybody. to the podcast? OK, well, yeah, I, I guess like each each comedian was so different. And I think what was unique when I saw Anna perform was that she started talking about her sister and her your experience with that. And sorry, I, I'm talking around it mostly because I have a hard time saying suicide. Um, and I think that's something that I'm working on. Like it was even hard for me to say postpartum depression for some reason. Like Mm -hmm. there's something about language and then speaking it aloud that makes it so much more real Mm -hmm. and, and visceral in some ways. Mm So, um, and I think, uh, that you're set, like when you were talking about like, um, when people ask you what your sister would think, Mm -hmm. like, I I can't do the joke, but like, I was just like, I left really hard because there's something, you know, it was that perfect sweet spot of, um, something with so much seriousness that, um, had connected to like an absurdity thing. Mm -hmm. And then like comedy is tragedy over time, I guess. Um, but I, I kind of see it as a, that Tig Notaro moment where you, you're so real on stage that when your comedy, um, happens that like you uh that the laughter is real and it comes from like a very different place where instead of like a schadenfreuden kind of you know laughter or like a when you hear a dirty joke kind of laugh you know like a the transgression of it it's more like of uh, something that comes from um a almost like a different stomach. I don't know. Do, 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 
do you hear what I'm saying? I guess, sorry. No, 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 no. That's a lot of random thoughts all at once. It's interesting to hear. Um, So you haven't seen me do stand-up April, but I have a whole segment, essentially, that's about my sister's suicide and Mm -hmm. trying to make people laugh about the conditions of which I survived that. Um, And I I have a couple of jokes where... uh, the audience is very uncomfortable. Like I'd make a joke basically that I'm going to bully my brother into also committing suicide because I got money when my sister died. Um, but for, for most of it, I try to do a very delicate balance of making it so that people can relate to what this must've been like and Mm -hmm. feel okay to laugh. Um, I think with a lot of suicide stuff, it's hard for people to laugh because, uh, they don't, they feel like you don't want to make fun of that person who committed suicide because obviously they must've been in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. So I always try to make sure she's not the butt of of the joke. And if she's ever the joke, she's the empowered one in the joke. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's interesting to hear about the different places of laughter. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Um, it, it was. It took me quite a bit to get that joke. Uh, the, t- the timing and the wording it just was the right. Boo joke, and I was yeah, like, yeah. "Oh man, yeah, That's so good." Um, let's let's uh let's let's roll back a little bit and let's um, like, mm-hmm. can you tell me about your sister? Yeah. So, uh, Christina was thirteen. Uh, she was uh, when she died. She was super brave. Uh, she always did the talent show every year, oh. and she would choreograph a dance for her friends. And every year, all of her friends would like drop out, and she would just do the whole talent show by herself. <laughs> what? Yeah, she's super sweet. Uh, I think I think she had like bipolar or some kind of mood disorder, mm. um, based on how manic she was. But it could have also been just because she was a thirteen-year-old girl going mm. through intense hormonal changes. Um, she definitely had dyslexia, and it was something my parents thought she could overcome with time. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of ended up committing suicide on Valentine's Day in 2007, mm. uh, which I just totally forgot about that, that it was Valentine's Day recently. Um, but yeah, she was a really like cool, chill little sister who I always felt very protective over. So uh, it was me, my brother, my sister. So she had two, uh, two older siblings, uh, but ended up committing suicide after getting like expelled from school when she brought an airsoft gun to try to protect herself for some guys who threatened to beat her up. Mm-hmm. And uh, could not assimilate into the new school in Temecula. Got it. <sighs> I'm sorry. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, um, I will. I will. I have a question. Yeah. I, I'm gonna raise my hand sometimes, and that sometimes I do something I do. Um, what did you see? How do you see yourself as an older sister? Like what? Through the years, I think. How has that evolved for you? What was your age difference first? Uh, I was 17, so four years older. Okay. Yeah. What? what, what? Yeah. Okay. There's something about that number. Anyways, yeah. go on. Um, well, I I mean, obviously, when she, when she was alive, I saw myself as, like, the older sister, but, like, very annoyed because, you know, they wanted to copy everything that I did. Then right. my brother and my sister would, like, hide under my bed when my friends were over and, like, try to, like, write down everything that we were saying. They were just, like, the most annoying people ever growing up. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, she died, and I felt like, oh, I, f- I failed. Like, I legit failed as a sister. Like, that my one job as a sister is to, like, support my siblings, and I ruined that. But, you know, I went through a lot of therapy to realize, like, oh, no, that's not it's not my fault. And in fact, like, I should be angry about it because she took uh, a sisterhood away from me for the rest of my life. I have to, like, deal with not ever having a sister ever again. Um, 
But now I kind of have like pseudo adopted the internet and have that feeling of like, oh, I'm still helping some little sister somewhere through what I do, hopefully. Um, and in a good way, you never know how people are going to take what you say. But uh, now it's gotten to a point where I feel okay about it. I feel like, you know, if I can't be her older sister, I can at least be somebody else's older sister, or at least try to be a role model for somebody out there. Um, and I've kind of like, accepted being that and been okay with it. And you must get a lot of feedback from your audience. I mean, mm-hmm. do you get a lot of like strength from that or sort of like, you know, I'm actually reaching people or you're mm. actually reaching people with that? I mean, the actual comment section, <laughs> it's hard because think about the kind of person who actually sits down and types a comment. Right, yeah. Like how many times have you guys ever left a comment on a video? YouTube comments are brutal. Right? Yeah. They're probably the most brutal comments. Looking at them. Yeah. Right. They just, they're not good like for my mental health yeah. and emotional health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Nah. So it's usually... I get that satisfaction feeling in person. So if I'm at VidCon or if somebody happens to like, I got recognized at the DMV by this like young, like 15 year old girl who started crying and like was like, can I just hug you? So like that kind of like, those moments are the ones where I'm like, okay, I'm actually doing something. Um, The actual YouTube comment section is kind of difficult because it's not like a real face to face interaction, even though you know it's probably a human on the other end, maybe a bot. Right. Um, but yeah. All the terrible ones are bots. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Human beings are way worse than bots. Yeah. There was a quick aside. There was, um, they let some artificial intelligence loose, like, um, to tweet. Uh-huh. And based oh on the learning, did you hear about this yes. story? This person turned into a troll. This oh, really? AI turned into a troll. It's started like, tweeting racist shit all the time. Yeah. Oh my god. It was yeah. intense. They had to turn it off. It was like was it like a day or even like hours? It was. It, it was short. Really. They had to turn them off. Oh it's like that's god. why we can't have nice things. Yeah. Based Maybe on what it was picking happen. up from. And interactions, but I also feel like people probably trolled the AI, and right. so the AI got tricked into becoming right. just <laughs> no. a fascist racist Nazi. No. It was really bad. Oh, why internet? <laughs> why are you so full of like great possibility and yet the depths, the pure depths of human <laughs> depravity yeah. and things like that? Um, but uh, I, I, I'm curious because you said that you've been creating content for six years now. And I'm curious if there was um, something like that coincided with that, like you got to a certain place in therapy or, you know, was there a certain event that kind of kind of launched that for you? Uh, yeah. So when my sister died when I was 17, right around the time you apply for colleges. So I did not apply for colleges, um, and kind of didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I spent like two years doing like one semester of community college and like taking a lot of drugs and drinking a lot. And then was like, Oh, I'm, I saw Margaret Cho actually do stand up, mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, that's what I want to do. So wow. I actually started stand up when I was 19, but developed a lot of anxiety attacks because of it. Um, and so kind of as a way to like bail on stand up, I discovered the internet and I was like, Oh, I can do this from like home. Right. I don't have to be near anybody. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to wait at a like awkward bar. I don't have to wait outside till they call me inside to do my set and kick me out. So it was, it was good. Uh, I really, really liked making content for the internet. There felt like there was so much more you could do to be funny mm. and not just rely on your writing and your jokes and your delivery. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up like just diving right into it was by running away from something else. Did you feel like you had reached um an emotional conclusion or or like like a was there 
an emotional journey that happened too with, with the stand-up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was, uh, well, after years of therapy, I realized this, but it was very much self-sabotage because when I started, I was terrible. Mm-hmm. And the more I got better, the more I would have anxiety attacks about oh. it. And so working with my therapist, it was kind of like, yeah, like I don't deserve to do any of this while, you know, someone's dead and, and can never experience anything. Cause Christina was always the one who we thought was going to be the performer in the right. family. She was the one who was doing talent shows. She's the one who was like, I want to move to LA and become an actor. I want to do this and I want to perform. So it kind of almost felt like I was taking over what would have been her life and, uh, was very upsetting for, uh, psychological reasons. And, uh, but eventually like I did YouTube for long enough that I was like, Oh, I ran away from standup. I should try to get back into that because that's something I left unfinished and needed closure on. That's interesting. Because yeah. when you said that, I just imagined like a firefighter who was afraid of getting burned. Like, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> like I had to do this thing, but I also hate it at the same time. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, you felt that it was unfinished. Like, can you, can you go into that a little more? I, I feel like that's yeah. a really interesting thought. Um, so when I started my stand-up jokes, I never, it never crossed my mind to talk about Christina in my standup or that that was a thing. And it was also way raw. Like I couldn't make a suicide joke for seven years. Um, but when I ran away from standup, I knew it was something like that was going to push me and would help me grow and that I should have a voice there and that it was going to be a very valuable experience for me. Um, so as I did YouTube on and on, I just constantly kept feeling like, no, you have to get back on stage. Um, there's also something very, very intimate about stand-up, even though there's like, you know, a hundred people in the audience and you're on a stage and you can't really see past the lights very often. It's a kind of vulnerability and an immediate gratification, unlike anything I've ever had before. Like you think the internet has like immediate gratification, but stand-up, if it doesn't work, you know it immediately, you know? Um, And so I just felt like that was the place I had to work out how I could make uh, her death be something that didn't control me anymore. So how did it go in the very beginning as you were sort of forming it? terrible <laughs> people didn't like because you, you have to figure out how to make that funny and the right. moment you you tell people like the suicide stuff like I over time I realized I had to be serious up front and say like can I get real with you for a second this is oh. what happened because a lot of people actually didn't know if she actually committed okay. suicide they were like oh is that just a bit that's not real yeah. so it took me like five or six shows and some comics coming up to me and being like is that actually real because if it's if it is you should just clarify that because uh, we were all wondering uh-huh. so it, it was a bunch of trial and error and each of those jokes are trial and error and uh yeah yes. <laughs> it just gets to yeah you get to be like okay that didn't work cool i'm gonna work on that i'm gonna come <laughs> back I'll do that joke again we'll see how it goes <laughs> <laughs> oh man and having to get back up there and i think uh yeah, I mean, stand-up is so unique. You really like stand-up, right? Like, stand-up shows in general? Yeah, I haven't really done... I haven't gone No, nobody's recently. Nobody's judging you. Yeah, sorry. Except for Anna. <laughs> Anna's judging you. How dare like, you? <laughs> Bean's judging you. Where's Bean? Also, if you hear a cat on the... On the... On the... On this podcast, I was gonna say on the radio, um, <laughs> then it was Bean, and he's amazing. So, um... I'm curious, is there is there an element of, of, of sisterliness that enters into um, your stand-up even? Because I, I think mm. it's much clearer with your YouTube content yeah. or, you know, with any of that particular type of writing. But No, I don't think stand-up is me as a sister. I think stand-up is me as me. Uh, mm. But also definitely discussing what it's like to be a sister. Like, that identity is a 
part of what I talk about, but it doesn't feel like I'm approaching it from that angle. I don't necessarily feel like I have to take care of the audience when I'm doing standup. I have to make sure they're on my side, but you know, I've done shows where I can just be like, fuck you guys. That's a great joke, you know, <laughs> and, and be upset that I didn't get the reaction that I wanted. Um, cause it definitely, to me when I'm on stage, it's like, no, that's my time and that's who I am. And I, I don't owe anybody anything, even though you want to make everyone laugh. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm going to slightly transition. Do you have anything no, more? No, go ahead. I'm curious if you have any older sister figures in your life. Ooh, I am constantly searching for mentors and I have not had a lot of luck with it. Unfortunately. Really? Yeah. What is it that you're, that you're hoping to find? Um, I just love the idea of like being taken under the wing of an older woman who's wiser and can impart advice to me who I can talk to about my problems and she can kind of put in perspective based on her life experience. Um, and I've tried to like, um, be the mentee of a couple people and it's, it's never quite worked out and it's never quite clicked. And I think it's maybe the curse of being the oldest child is like, you're so used to being in that role of like, I take care of everybody and I look out for everybody that it's almost hard to fall into the role of like being taken care of. Right. Like, are you sure you know what you're talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. As, as a, as a middle, like I, I don't, I can't speak to the oldest, uh, oldest child thing. Um, well, how about you? I mean, Vanessa, if you can't, if you don't have much of a relationship with your sister, you know, would you, do you look for somebody like that? I have, I have, I've, I feel like I've been similarly frustrated mostly like, so, um, I think within the fellowship context, like when I was in college, like I wanted like an older sister type. But what I found was that, you know, like wanting that relationship was like just wanting to be understood a lot of times. So I feel like I need to find somebody specific, you know, like whether it's specifically about filmmaking or specifically about podcasting even or, you know, versus a general um, mentor in my life because um, yeah, I think in terms of like trying to get worth from this other person, like you, you, it's not, it's not enough, you know, and it's, it's, it's very limiting and it's, it's, you know, like you have to work out your own <laughs> shit, you know, like, um, the way that you need to work it out and it can't, you can't put it all on the mentor. And and that was my personal experience, uh, through the years, because I, I just, I think like, I wanted somebody, like you said, like to take you under your wing, but I also just needed somebody to affirm like a lot of the stuff that I was doing. Mm. Um, I, and, and right now, if I were to get a mentor, I'd want it to be like much more constructive with like a goal. And like, I have a therapist and that's great. And, and, you know, I actually think she's younger than me, which is not a big deal, but you know, like then it becomes more of a peer conversation than like, like hey, like, I need advice on this thing. So right now, it's mostly through peers, and it's not with people who are older than me, which, you know, it is what it is. But one day I would like a mentor, because I think I think knowing that somebody has gone before you is really important, you know? Um, and especially within this context, it's like... I, I just don't know if that many people you know, are specifically Asian American female filmmakers working within a mental you know, health like space. Like a copy of yourself plus like 15 years. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're never going to find a one-to-one, right? But I think it's, you know, it's, it's nice to know, well, when you encountered this specific challenge, like what did you do? And I think there's very specific 
you know, contextual things that like you'd want them to speak to. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, do you, do you ever, I feel like we've never had this discussion actually <laughs> about wanting a mentor. I have a lot of very, um, I have a lot of people who like to give a lot of advice in my life. So I feel like I'm like full <laughs> up. Like I've got all the mentors in the oh, world. Oh yeah, you need too many voices, right? <laughs> but I, I do always look for people who, and I think, you know, um, comedy is definitely a place where I found probably the most honesty, you mm-hmm. know, and the most like directness of like, you know, these are my you know, shortcomings or my experiences as a human being. Mm-hmm. And this is how I've accepted these things about myself. And, and, you know, of course making it funny as well, you know, is um, wait, what funny mm. <laughs> is a plus. Um, but I think there's something about comedy or, or just dealing with your problems in general, like where, you know, you kind of avoided speaking about the, your sister's suicide for a while, um, and then decided to, you know, give that experience a voice. I think there's something about really confronting that thing that is really important in your life and kind of in some ways forms you and shapes who you are, you know, from that point forward, like really speaking to that. And I think that that leads to sort of like a flowering of like your creativity and like, you know, just who you are as a human being. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I don't know what I'm talking about. No. I'm going to listen back to it and then process it. <laughs> keep, keep going through my head. Um, is there is there something specific that you would want in a mentor or an older sister type? Um, you know, mm. maybe a similar life experience with somebody in their family also having committed suicide? Or is it somebody in comedy or somebody who's also a content creator? I mean, ideally it would be somebody in comedy or in the entertainment industry who can just help me navigate the ups and the downs of it and reassure me like this is normal this is fine just push through it or maybe like this is not normal you should like stop (laughs) (laughs) you know like just someone to talk to and get some perspective on because I mean the digital thing's so new that I don't think there are any mentors out there who we who none of us know what we're doing we don't know if this is going to disappear tomorrow but like stand up and traditional acting and all that stuff like that's been around long enough that I feel like I'd love like an exec type or a Margaret Cho type who I could just call up and be like this is what I'm dealing with what do I do mm, no, I find that. those two phrases like this is normal and this is not normal like so comforting yeah like, <laughs> like am I okay yeah. <laughs> please tell me I'm like to- totally screwing up or like you know this is part yeah. of the course what's the consensus here <laughs> right huh I think for me it's like about having my emotions validated because most of the times I'm like because for me, normalization... No can... one could see that, but oh, Vanessa's yeah. head was slightly tipped back. But I also curled my nose. <laughs> and her eyes darted side to side. Yeah, there's a lot of darting. A lot of darting. But, you know, like, you, you just you just need to be like, hey, it's okay. Yeah. Cool. Like, you did it. You know, like, you got through that. And I... Because, like, sometimes for me, like, like uh, when people are like, like, you get into a car accident... This is my go-to example, like, and they're like, it happens every day. I'm like, but it happened to me. <laughs> it happened to me. <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah. And you just blow up. So um, <laughs> when you were thinking about, you know, like what it means to be an older sister, was, was there anybody modeling that kind of stuff for you? Or did you hear anything like culturally from your family about what it meant to be an older sister? Or in each, any of your roles, like 
like family roles i'm curious um just a reinforcement from the parents that family is forever and your job is to take care of them and look out for them and make sure everything's okay is what i always heard from my my it was very explicit yeah it was very much like you are the protector role did you did you hear anything about what it was to be a youngest or what your sisters were even supposed to do? Or just sisters in general, or like siblings, family in general. Um, like we always have to share, you oh, know, like, yeah. like nothing, <laughs> nothing that is, nothing is only theirs or only mine, you know. Um, and my dad, uh, one, one teachable moment of this uh, lesson was going to Las Vegas and him handing us like $20 bills <laughs> to go like gambling, you know, and then our, our like winnings, we'd have to share it all. Oh God. <laughs> I only I never gamble but um and that's why because it's never mine like at the end of the day um but yeah I mean I mean essentially what Anna said like family is forever and we have to be close and 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 help each other all the time Hmm. I asked the question I always do this right I asked the question and I'm like I don't know what my answer is (laughs) because it's it's one of those things that like I don't know if I ever heard anything explicitly like what is this definition you know like what how do you and when I think about my life I think about myself in all these different roles right Mm. and like and what I'm trying to change is like trying to figure out if I'm doing things right you know like if I'm constantly am I a good blank and you, you know you put whatever role that is so daughter sister you know like friend all those things and um I don't know it's like, kind of so interesting because I, I do see a lot of questions in your mind about certain things. And when your dad was like, your dad is a pastor, mm-hmm. you know, and he gives a lot of advice. He must give a lot of advice. I don't know. They kind of just like, they weren't like, they didn't like let us loose in the wild, but they, they wanted us to come to our own conclusions. Uh-huh. And so I would try to pick up on the nonverbal clues. And I think from the larger family perspective, there's a lot of, culture kind of making through like what's what's implied to be good or bad you know showing up to family events good you know not going and doing things things bad like forgetting people's like birthdays and not giving them gifts or things like that bad you know like so those are pretty simple mm-hmm. but um i think um nobody was like you know you're you're in this role and so you have to do this so, I mean, it's kind of freeing, but it's also, it can be maybe initially a little bit confusing, like in the beginning of your life where you're like, huh, you know, but I, I think everybody has a different experience with that. Cause I mean, I'm finding more now that I want more guidelines, even though I feel like growing up in a very like Asian American Christian atmosphere. And I won't say this is true of my family, but I think in the larger church, it was very, you know, rules driven, which is terrible mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way that like affected me a lot right so you know I go kind of back and forth in that but for me figuring out different boundaries and trying different things on that's like that's kind of been what the experience has been currently it's like huh well what does it mean to like to come up against something that you don't feel is right and then challenge that and then kind of push through it sounds like I'm a teenager actually <laughs> what I think is amazing though about teenagers and and maybe early 20s basically people who are younger than me um <laughs> all those youngins well I, uh, maybe it's just a totally like solipsistic view or something but i feel like there's just such a greater awareness of like of you know mental health and such a 
people are just so much more open about talking about these things, like these things that I wish that I heard when I was like in middle school or in mm-hmm. high school, you know, and mm-hmm. then suddenly things are being so openly discussed now, like even, you know, um, you know, television and movies like include these sort of um, messages of like, you know, self-love and self-esteem and like, you know, maybe let's deconstruct this like, um, you know, Disney myth of like finding love and everything is, you know, everything will be perfect in your life after that. Um, Do you do you see that or is that just totally me? No, I think you're not completely off. I just wonder because right when we talk about the, the current generation, that's like maybe like early 30s to like 20s right Mm. so like they they were you know like we're kind of disparaged in a way because we we feel entitled or like all these things so like like we're all snowflakes um so i wonder i I know it's kind of a dumb (laughs) it's like so what Anyway, uh, who hates snowflakes? Like legit, that's a terrible, I know, right? Like, like, why is that? Why is that bad? A hateable thing. I guess we're now now that we're a flurry of snowflakes, <laughs> we're a fucking storm. Right. I I just like so so some some part of me is like, well, you know, like what is it that we're trying to fix? That will then people will be like, oh, I wish they hadn't done that. Do you know what I'm saying? Because I don't feel like I was raised incorrectly, you know, to feel like. You know, like that, you know, self-worth is important, you know, and, and things like that and not finding it in like other people necessarily. But oh. I mean, OK, simple answer. Yes, I agree. I don't even remember what my question is. How about you, Anna? Do you see that and do you recognize it as a good thing? Or? I think as a society, we are moving more towards awareness yeah. about like mental illness and more self-love and, and being like, oh yeah, Hollywood is a crock of shit that's been spoon feeding us fairy tales about what love is supposed to look like. Um, I don't know if young people are more aware. Mm. I, I I feel like they're more intelligent maybe about these things because of the exposure they get from the internet. But I almost feel like the younger people I talk to aren't as open about the, these issues as like people our age. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, mm. yeah. In my experience, like people our age are more open to talking about if they're on antidepressants or if they have clinical depression or if they have something going on in their family versus someone who's really young. But I, I think that might also just be because when someone's like a lot younger, they either haven't encountered it yet, they don't have the tools to talk about it yet, maybe, or maybe they're just like in the throes of it and like it's their whole world. Right. So they're just a little They thrown. haven't yet had the time to reflect or yeah. whatever. Yeah. That's interesting. Here as I'm just thinking like my friend, my one friend who's like my one example <laughs> of like young people are so smart these days, but they really like, I don't know, something about maybe the fact that she is like less likely to fall for like, you know, like stupid crap. And she's mm. more likely to look at the sources of things that she reads, mm. you know, oh, versus great. just like reading things and media literacy understanding is huge. themselves. Dude, exactly. It's too much. It's it's a lot, and like having to parse through that. But I think that's a really like astute observation. Like, there's something about, you know, like generation, general, generalization. (laughs) Um, you know that, like younger generations don't experience it, and so it's hard for them to get outside of that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, unless, like, you know, Atsuko like grew up with a mother. Um, oh my goodness. I think she's schizophrenic or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like, so she 
very clearly had an experience with somebody who, you know, was diagnosable and how to navigate that. And, and so now in, in, as we become adults, you know, like there's this kind of push against what was, you know, our childhood. And then Mm. the generation ahead of us, you know, are less likely in general, just because culturally they didn't want to talk about it. Right. So it's, it's nice to be kind of in this middle set, you know, where we have a little bit more wiggle room to kind of have these conversations. Um, do you have any of these conversations with like your family or anything like that? Um, my parents sometimes, uh, when I went on antidepressants, they gave me a giant bag of like niacin and they were like, depression goes away with old age. And I was like, no, that's not how that works. (laughs) Nope. Um, but niacin. Niacin is like a vitamin. Do <laughs> <I just can't. laughs> they give you gummy vitamins? No, it was like huge niacin pills oh that they're God. like, take this every day. <laughs> it's just like you—you you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so close. I know. So close. I mean, I don't know. My parents are also like quite old and set in their ways, so I can't expect them to change too much. But mm-hmm. they've definitely mellowed out since my sister died, which is nice. But I, I typically have this conversation more with like friends than I do family members. Or even yeah. your brother? Or... Um, no, my brother's a little. I mean, he's he's dealing with his own stuff. He's the next one who's in like code red mode. Um, but uh, he tries to be more aware of this stuff, but doesn't believe that anything of anything affects him. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, sorry. I'm trying to, like, whenever I ask somebody a question, I'm also answering it in my own own head. She's never listening to you. Yeah, I'm just, like, She's just formatting her own answer. (laughs) Wouldn't that be the worst? Like, you're that person who, um, I forget what movie it is, but, like, people who don't have conversations, like, they're just waiting their turn to speak. Yeah, and then you don't listen, and they're done, so you're like, interesting. You mentioned that your parents sort of mellowed out after after your sister um, killed yourself. Did, um... I mean, how has that sort of had that open up like communication that you didn't have before with them? I mean, they're not really communicative still. They're both Trump supporters and uh, I harass them all the time and they ignore me about it. <laughs> but get on you. <laughs> Thanks. That's really bold, yeah. actually. Uh, well, I, I've also I feel so emboldened because when she died, I was like, I'm the only one left, guys. Like, you can't you can't ditch me. Like, mm. otherwise, what do you got? You got William? He's a, he's not. No, like, <laughs> I'm going to be the one taking care of you when you're dead. Right. Or when you're old, <laughs> not when you're dead. Well, when they're dead too, <laughs> all but the steps. <laughs> all the steps. Uh, but they they've they are mellowed out in the sense of like I can invite them to parties and my parents can come and party with my friends. Or nice. they're really good about being able to like hang out at my house and like just be chill and not have to have like crazy intense conversations about my lifestyle. Like I smoked weed in front of my mom and she was like, I don't like that you do that. And I was like, Well, I'm an adult and you're <laughs> in my house, so. We definitely have, like, a more open relationship in terms of just, like, I'm going to live my life and I'm not going to do anything crazy, um, but uh, you guys should also still just be there and chill and support it because they were very strict Asian parents, Mm -hmm. like, back in the day. Mm -hmm. So there's trust now. Yeah, there definitely is. And it's, like, it's, it's nice to have success in what I'm doing because it's not like they can complain that I'm smoking weed and I don't have a job or something you know and I'm just like I'm smoking weed and like writing an essay like what yeah. are you gonna be upset about <laughs> right like <laughs> it's fine
like uh, any of that Asian cultural stuff affects the way that you do things? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it's given us the, like intense work ethic and great, like well, the expectations can are good and bad, but um, I feel like I'm able to be so disciplined because my parents were so disciplined. My father would wake us up every day at like 5 a.m. when my mom was out of town to like do chores and like, <laughs> and like have a schedule and a planner. <laughs> um, so I definitely feel like I got that work ethic down and they were a little bit more like about like when you're an Asian family, like you have to like host everyone and provide for everyone. So all my parties have really good food. Um, cause my mom's Filipino. Nice. I gotta have that good food. And that's it. Just hard work and food. <laughs> that's all I got from the Asian culture. I think those are the most important yeah. parts. Do you mind if I ask you what your parents do? Or, or Yeah. Do my dad was a, a naval officer. So he was like a navigator for fighter jets. And my mom was a homemaker. Okay. Yeah. Did you move around or? Yeah, every two years. What places did you live? I've lived in like 15 states, Korea, Philippines, Japan, Hawaii, yeah. Mostly like throughout your childhood or like when Mostly you throughout childhood, yeah. Okay. I've been in LA for seven years okay. now that I don't have to be like strung along by them. All right. Yeah. So I always think like those um, sort of military families that move around, like do you, did you become very close to each other since it was just kind of you guys like yeah and I think you kind of learn how to lie really well or like <laughs> you know blend in really well because yeah. you want to like you know you only have a finite time somewhere so you want to get as close to people as fast as possible uh -huh. so I used to do a lot of stuff where I would just mimic the way people talk or like like mimic their body language or something like yeah. that to try to get really close to them and find common ground immediately consciously what's what what's no. an example of like that if you can remember um like uh well every time i moved to a new place i had the whole idea of like i can test out a different version of me and see if i like it mm -hmm. and so i would i would be like really loud and obnoxious in like hawaii mm -hmm. or really shy <laughs> and reserved in like virginia um but in terms of getting close to people like just cold approaching people and if people are standing with their hands on their hips you also stand with your, your hands on your hips or like mm -hmm. if they have like an affect you uh, you adopt that affect like hawaiian pigeon i would start talking about like it immediately adopted the slang right. so to try to kind of blend in and find a group. Mm -hmm. huh. That's, yeah. I mean, though, I mean, like, I admire that. Like, I think it also can produce some, like, maybe anxiety because you're always kind mm -hmm. of wondering. And that's why I asked if it's, this stuff was conscious for you. Like, No, no. I only realized that looking back at it. But it was definitely, like, subconscious just trying to fit in and, and have friends. Being in L.A., now that you've been there for seven years, um... What's your approach to kind of like creating intimate connections and getting on deeper levels with people? Um, I'm very, uh, I'm unabashedly like open about like asking people stuff. So I really enjoy getting into a conversation with someone and just being like, so what's your goal for this entire year? Like, well, if you could do one thing and t before you died, like what would it be? And trying to find out who somebody is at their core. But my problem is like, you mostly find out who people really are over time. Mm -hmm. And so like every two and a half, three years, like I'll usually have a breakup or break up with a friend group because we have some kind of falling out. And then you have to wonder like, is this a pattern because I'm used to doing this my entire life? Or is this actually because this person and I just don't click anymore because we've changed so much. Any answers? Um, and no, I'm still working that one out in therapy. I don't think. Yeah. Good. I just I don't think I've had enough time to figure out what that is. Yeah. 
I feel like LA is a tricky place too, right? Yeah. Yeah, especially within the entertainment industry. Um, and I think like going to um, going to film school and then going into the workforce, like I kept looking for close friends and they weren't in my immediate circles. So I actually had to like go mm. and do some outside things. And now that I've moved, I have to like reestablish a f- friend group that I do certain things with. Like, thankfully, I live with my friends, which mm. is great. But I'm also going through this moment where I'm like. You know, what is it that I'm looking for friendship? Like, what kind of friends am I looking for? You know, like, and even just getting um, beyond some of the surface surface stuff, something that I tend to naturally do. Like, I'm the person at the party who's like, yeah, we're at the party. And then, like, I'll find, like, a quiet corner to, like, have, like, a really intense conversation with someone. Yeah. You know, it's like, you, know you, you want to ask those questions. Oh, like, oh, well, what were you, you know, intending? What's your goals? You know, like, all that, all that fun, fuzzy stuff. Um and and really intellectually stimulating stuff but you know like what what am i looking for we've talked about this uh april and i because like just it you forget how long it takes to like actually establish friends and do you ever find that like when you're in that kind of conversation or you're starting that kind of a conversation with someone that they're kind of off put by it sometimes yeah but I think because it's LA most people are kind of like oh cool we don't have to talk about like work we can get right. into something a little bit more deeper a little bit more beneath the surface mm-hmm. um and I found out like a lot of fun interesting things about people that way like I connected with a guy about his little sister drowning oh. and with somebody else I found out they were like a former junkie and like talking about what that's like and just like I I, I love when in a conversation you find out that one thing about somebody that makes you go oh mm-hmm. and like look mm-hmm. at them in completely different light right. and so I always strive like I'm like what's that thing I'm gonna find out about <laughs> you what do you think that that is when people encounter you I think it's the suicide because I I mention it a lot <laughs> and I talk about it often. Do you are you afraid of it, kind of um, defining your life in a way that has more influence on it than? I mean, I think it's the before and after moment of my life, and I'm very content to de- to have that be the defining moment of my life. Huh. Yeah. Um, you spoke about, or, or you mentioned to me earlier that you'd written a book, mm-hmm. um, Letters to Your Little Sister, is that right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so it's called So Much I Want to Tell You, and then the subtitle is Letters to My Little Sister, because they were worried, my publisher was worried people would think it was fiction. But um, it's basically, uh, the pitch was, it's all essays that were essentially to my sister or to a young, a young woman with valuable things that I've learned. Because I love... Like, I'm not a big nonfiction reader, but when I read nonfiction, it's because I want to learn something from it. And so it feels weird to write, like, a biography. Like, when 27, it feels like, <laughs> oh, okay, here we go. Here's everything I've learned. Um, but I, I do feel like I have enough life experience for, like, a, a girl who's 13 to 17 to really read and take some stuff away from. So mm-hmm. it's definitely meant for that audience and it's more of an empowering book and a cautionary book um I talk about things that I don't touch in I touch in my YouTube videos at all like my abortion Mm -hmm. um and so I'm really excited to put it out there because I've been working on it for like a year and a half and it's finally done so it's going away yeah get get out there so it's going to be published soon yes it's published June 13th and who's the publisher uh Ballantyne they're uh with Random House and Penguin congratulations that's exciting thank you 
Did you have a completely different approach? Was there a lot of weed smoking over these essays? No, no, no. I can't smoke weed and write these essays. Uh, it, it was a completely different experience, and it was a hard one because r- r- the rewriting process was brutal because it's like, I know every single one of these stories. How much more do I have to rewrite them? I'm over it. I don't want to l- read about this anymore. Um, and also, you know, feeling like a qualified voice was really difficult. Like, it took me a while. Also feeling like, am I exploiting my sister's death and cashing in on it was, like, a huge moral question that I encountered. And uh, just, yeah, writing it was a very emotionally draining process. I find those kinds of um, uh, books really valuable. Like, and there's a way to see it as, you know, being exploitive. Yeah. Um, But I think, like, for me, like, I write a few books about depression and suicide and, I mean, you just, all you want to do when you're kind of feeling that way is to find someone else who feels that way too. Yeah. And like, even if there isn't like a happy ending or some kind of like positive resolution, just knowing that someone else has felt those feelings before, you know, yeah. and, and what happened. So is it, know. is it usually through books that you kind of experience that feeling or yeah, books and, um, really just any kind of, yeah, I don't know. Part of it has to do with like the fact that I, you know, I'm sort of a depressive personality and I kind of tend to go get depressed every now and then. But, um, another part of it is that, I don't know, sometimes I am a little attracted to the macabre a little bit. Mm. So I guess depending on how I'm feeling, <laughs> like it's either one or the other, or maybe a little bit of both. Uh, yeah. Do you ever, um, you know, in rewriting these stories, Anna, like, is there any time that you're worried about viscerally reliving them? Oh, yeah. I mean, writing uh, the beginning part was really hard because the first draft of the book up front, I just talk about the day that Christina died Mm. and chronicle that whole thing. And my publisher, (laughs) we had to like really pare that chapter down because she was like, this is not representative of what the rest of the book is. Mm. Um, So we need to shape all of this raw emotion and really contain it as you and use it more of as like a, this is a context thing. This is where I'm coming from. This has been the lens that I've been looking through life through. Um, so yeah, I was, you know, I cried a lot when I was writing the parts about her or like, um, the really like emotional parts, but I, I still hope it's a funny book. Um, I tried to at least have some humor in it and, and the chapters that are more, more straightforward, at least like just giving concrete information for people to take away. No, I mean like that's, yeah, that's the thing. It's like when you're making art and you're putting yourself out there, it's like, yep, that's, that's so maybe vulnerable. Yep. Well, hope somebody likes us. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't reject me. It's that, that's the, that's the danger of it being close. But I mean, that's also very exciting. I was thinking about like, how you like to read books and I was thinking hyperbole and a half was actually like a really good resource oh, brush yeah and um she's this person who does a web comic and actually mm. she has by bi- um she is bipolar and 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 what it went what it meant to be adulting you know and when she's depressed what it feels like and why you can't just be like hey if you go outside it'll be okay and you're like this is why it's not okay you yeah. know and like so that feeling so yeah I think this will be a really good resource um is there any chance that the raw, unedited form of that day will somehow end up somewhere for you? Um, it does live online. I published my diaries uh, for, I think, the first year or two after she died online called Surviving Suicide. Just because I reread them, I was like, oh, this is intense. Mm-hmm. But also, 
uh, I felt like if I had read something like that right after Christina died, I would have felt so much more like, oh, I'm not alone. This is like, this is not. And I think what's most frustrating is like when that stuff happens, like your world completely stops, but everybody else just keeps living and you feel so angry at everyone for continuing with their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, those, those emotions were really raw and in there. And so I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to put it out there for free and whoever wants to read it can read it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. What is it like to to have to edit yourself and to have to, cause I think there's some sense like in YouTube that, you know, like with that content, you, you definitely have to pare it down and make it in bite-sized pieces. Mm-hmm. And then even for this very personal book that, you know, there's an intention, right? Like your, your publisher mm-hmm. was like, this doesn't represent the rest of the book, but there is something that's, you know, like raw and valuable about what you were writing. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about your process and how that, you know how you felt throughout it editing is hard when it comes to youtube i'm much more i scrutinize everything i say a little bit more because there are those times where people can just take one sentence Mm -hmm. and that's all they'll fixate on out of the whole thing um so it's and especially because they're so short two two three minutes i try to make sure i'm i'm getting everything across in the most concise but detailed way possible so it cannot be misconstrued so i come at that more of like an editing in terms of like if i'm a troll what am i going to say about this um with the book it's great because you have so many more words to work with so many more descriptions and editing that was hard because I'm very much a writer who goes on tangents and I over explain certain things and then I'm like I'll say jargon that nobody understands unless you were a background artist mm-hmm. um so that process was a little bit more helpful because I had an editor to be like these are the, the parts of the story that are great these parts don't make sense what are you doing here mm-hmm. and she's the one who really helped me like hone in on what exactly I'm trying to say. And and my problem with the book was like, I kept coming up really short on the word counts of these chapters. And she'd be like, you can explain so much more. And I'm like, I can't, I'm so used to just paring it down to the necessities. (laughs) Um, so that was the biggest challenge of making sure that I was explaining enough, but also I didn't ever want it to feel like I was fluffing it up. So there are certain, there's like a whole chapter on work where there's like little subsects of chapters and some of them are only two pages long. So I'm like, this is all I have to say on this topic, but I think it's an important thing to communicate. Um, so that was like, well, I do not envy you. Cause like <laughs> having to put the brain on like right now, like, so what I did was a personal doc. And then what I do now is I work like at a, at a tech place mm-hmm. where, you know, like we're making video content, internal video content. So it's always for the client. Mm-hmm. So then like, I can like, feel the you know the parts of yourself that have to like war and i think especially with personal stories it's like this is me why can't you just accept it yeah. and then you're like but it's gotta be focused in a certain way yeah so thank you for sharing yeah, of course how do you gird yourself against like those mean people oh man uh, I don't read comments when I'm feeling bad about myself. Uh-huh. I used to do that a lot. When I was feeling bad, I would intentionally go to Reddit and look myself up so I could have I could have a reason to cry. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. My heart's breaking a That's little amazing. bit. Um, just to feel, like, justified about <laughs> crying. <laughs> I deserve this cry. Yeah. This person said this terrible thing or, like, photoshopped me with cum on my face. Oh, Jesus uh. Christ. Um, it's hard, but I feel like I'm getting to a point where I like just 
and I have a video coming out about this, whatever, but I'm like, I have, I don't have any fucks left. Like, I feel like I just handed out all my fucks and now I'm just like, I don't care anymore. Um, not in a bad way, but in a, in a very much a way of like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of finally realizing instead of trying to be nice, I'm going to try to be kind because then in certain situations, being kind means sticking up for myself or being kind means setting a boundary and dealing with mean people. It's like, Oh, that's cool. I don't have to have you in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I used to have so many abandonment issues. Like if I fought with someone, I had to fix it. Otherwise they might go off and kill themselves. Mm -hmm. So I would take on a lot of responsibility for people's feelings and wanting to make sure everyone was okay. And I've, I think it's just like maybe because all the Trump stuff that's happened that we're also despaired and emotionally drained that I'm finally at a place where I'm like, you know what? That's cool. That's cool. You can say whatever you want about me, but that's not going to affect my life. Can I, can I, or can you put a shirt together that's just you with like flipping a table or something like <laughs> DGF? Yeah, kind of moment. That's amazing. Sorry, everything. <laughs> I feel like there's these pauses and it's like not as great on a podcast, but like you know, it's causing me to think. You know, it's mm-hmm. like all this pausing. Yeah, and not me thinking about blueberries in my mouth, <laughs> which are delicious, by the way. Please have a blueberry. You're thinking berry. <laughs> berry. Um, well, my random question, that's totally going to stick out like a sore thumb, but like, I haven't been to therapy in a while. Um, cause well, since I got my, um, new or my job that I've had for like the last year and a half, I switched to healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. Um, but now that I'm married, I went back to my previous healthcare (laughs) provider. Like, yes, this marriage is worth anything. It's Kaiser. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you don't need to get me a wedding present. Yeah. Give me that blue card. <laughs> yeah. take, it, take it to healthiness. Because yeah. I think I, for a while, I was just like, I'm fine. You know, mm. like everything's totally fine. And I think like, you know, you guys, I don't obviously know your journey so um, uh, in such a profound way. But like, if you feel like you've gotten past like the big thing, what is therapy like now? Um, I go in for tune-up sessions, Mm -hmm. so I still go pretty regularly, but the time between sessions is a lot longer now. Mm -hmm. Um, getting over the big thing, I mean, there's still always something to bitch about and something to be angry about and something that you have to work through. And so I feel like therapy is good when I feel like I go in and I have nothing and I come out and I'm like, fuck, like I'm a mess, <laughs> you know, cause there, no matter what you're going to have issues from growing up in a dysfunctional family or dealing with a dysfunctional relationship. And mm-hmm. so now what I'm really working on in, in therapy, now that all the suicide stuff, I kind of feel like I have a, a hold on is like, where do I go from here knowing all of that? And mm-hmm. what do I do in this political climate and how do I become the optimum version of myself and how do I stop beating myself up? on a daily basis and take mm-hmm. time to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. How about you, Vanessa? Um, yeah. I Do mean, you feel I, like you're past the big thing or you think you're in the midst of it still? There's, well, you know, I guess if I had to identify the big thing, there's probably still a lot of work to be done in that big thing. And I think I've just started to scratch the surface and there's times mm. where she's like, you ready to talk about that? I'm like, nah. <laughs> we good. We gonna. We're gonna. We gonna go that way if you want, <laughs> or if I want. And and and. Um, but it's nice that you have that awareness. You know, it's yeah. like you're not like in complete denial. I yeah, and I think um, the thing is that I was. I wouldn't say I was in denial about it, but like I don't feel like I'm in crisis mode. Does that does it make sense? So even when I was going, 
into therapy the first time like I wasn't in crisis mode and I almost didn't get a therapist like we talked about like because I wasn't like depressed in that moment I wasn't experience experiencing depression but she even was like well let's do a check and I was like what (laughs) you know and it was like it was kind of intense because I was like what if I am depressed what you know like but then we did we did an objective you know diagnosable check and we were like okay well I'm not depressed now so what's next and I I think that's a always a good question um as people who where we're trying to continually work on ourselves and and explore those unexplored parts and that's what it is for me is that there's there's like things that I'm completely like I've identified with her like things that I'm completely uncomfortable talking about it and just the act of speaking about it or making goals around it has been really helpful for me um and that big bad thing I think that I need to talk about with her is just like about dipping dipping my toes back in I've gone on to these like extended metaphors I know I'm just like (laughs) I don't know I'm sure I'm sure in like three seasons I'll be able to talk about what it is right but I I think um in general like there's always I think there's always work to be done and there's what's great about having you know a therapist who's been with you even if like the sessions are farther apart is the idea of like at least for me like I always ask myself am I different am I have I moved forward have I you know and I think sometimes like those questions are a little bit unproductive, you know, but at least for me in my life goals, like I want to, to have changed, you know, and if, even if it's worse then hopefully there's a chance to get better. Right. Like if I hit bottom, but, um, you know, yeah, they are the objective check. Like she actually in session will say, Oh, I've noticed that, you know, you're, you're feeling this and it's it's different from what we had talked about two weeks ago and I think that's great like the fact that and, and this is a, it's a safe one I can talk about at least safe for me but like like even just like health goals like she's like you know before you were like well I'll just make sure I go to the gym at least once but now you're actually signed up for like boxing and you're enjoying it and you're doing it because you value your health mm-hmm. as opposed to like you should be punished because you're you ate this and so now you have to go mm-hmm. work out you know so like that's tracking that change with someone else is like really important i think and if you like your friends who you are with or you the people that you live with like it's harder to see those incremental changes but i don't know it's helpful for me mm-hmm. I think, Go like, the, the change for me is, like, I know I should. I really should, especially if I have Fridays. But anyway, like, I think the big change for me, like, um, as I was talking about earlier in the episode, was, like, you know, um, using sort of therapy in conjunction with this podcast of, like, really processing sort of, you know, like, my family background and, like, that sort of really hard Asian-American, like, expectations and all those things. And, like, the way that I talk about those expectations of my family, you know, three years ago versus how I speak about them now are completely different. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I've really accepted and understood and validated my feelings, my experiences, but through that process also been able to see my parents that way too, you know, and really forgive them but also understand them, you know, and see it from their perspective and have a lot of empathy for that. So I feel like that was a really long process, but it, it, you know, went very well, I think. And then I was like, all right, done. Except 
not really because like I'm not really feeling great yeah (laughs) and so but I don't know why because that was a thing you know Mm -hmm. like that was a thing that was causing everything but if I'm not feeling great having fixed you know not necessarily fixed that but like confronted and worked through that you know what is it now I don't under I don't know like I'm totally at a loss I have no idea I always feel like it's like Kind of like Super Mario. Like, you finish one (laughs) level, and that's great. You died a lot to try to finish it, and now you're going to a whole new world, you know? Like, there's... And so many of your issues could be intertwined in things that you don't even know. And Mm. I think that's the weirdest part, because... I don't know if you guys experienced this, but I, I think the stereotype of the Asian Americans being disconnected from their emotions and being unable to really process that stuff in a timely or communicative manner is really true from what I've seen because we're not really taught how to do that. Like in my family, whenever my dad and I had an argument, he would be like, conversation over. And that's how we our arguments would end. Mm-hmm. And there was no discussing of feelings. There was no apologies. There was no like, why do you feel this way? This is why I feel this way. Um, so really navigating emotions, I feel like I, I started off very stunted. Right. And so it, it takes me like at least like a week till I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I feel shitty. Or right. this is why I'm angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of, and then like once you're aware of it, I feel like that's the easiest part of it. And now you can right. go work on it. That's right. right. But identifying is... Mm-hmm. is yeah, I personally hate emotion, so <laughs> I'm on that. Um, but I, 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 what I think I like about what you're saying is, yeah, like, or not that I like what you're saying, but I, I, I thank you for sharing that because, like, I think what's hard is like, yeah, knowing where certain things stem from, and like, for me, when I talk about even work stuff, my therapist is like, it's not superficial. Like, you're gonna discover something in talking about you know work and like even in why are you angry like well you get angry because something you feel like something that is very important to you was threatened so what's that important thing and trying to get to that deeper level stuff that I don't automatically do on my own because I'm too busy talking about marriage breaks but like um I brought that in because we should talk about it but um no I Myers Briggs, sorry, I thought you said my experience. Oh no, no, nobody wants to talk about my experiences. Let's be real. <laughs> Myers Briggs is much more important. So, um, uh, what I like to say, like even in film editing, like this scene doesn't work, not because and okay, sorry, in this, if a scene in a film doesn't work, doesn't necessarily mean you should just cut it. It it might mean that you didn't set it up properly. So the problem actually isn't with the scene itself. It's something earlier that's happened or something later that didn't pay off in the exact way. So you're not sure why that scene's still there. So I, I think that this feeling of like certain discontent or whatever it might be, you know, it's it's linked to something that's buried and needs to be unearthed for whatever reason. Sometimes so. I think I was thinking that, but I'm like, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to it be. It doesn't no. have to be some deep thing that I haven't like whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean it might be, but it also just might be the thing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? If that makes sense. <laughs> it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we go through like mood swings all the Does time. Does it have to be like this like repressed, you know? But you don't if you don't ask the question and if you don't go through the process then you might not know. Yeah. I know, right? I just took out my tongue. Yeah. April April made disgusted face. face. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. I feel like I haven't made the transition to podcasting, even though we're doing this all the time. <laughs> I'm just constantly, like, mugging over here. Um, man, I had a question, and it was probably going to be good. 
Clenching motion. Oh no, I wish I hadn't said that. Yeah. It got recorded, everybody. We're taking that out. <laughs> right? Okay. Um, for yourself, wh- what would you like f- from whatever space, whether it's getting a mentor um, or, you know, like your book being a New York Times bestseller? Like, what, do you, what would you want for yourself in this next year? Um, I think I want. Uh, independence for myself I've I'm recently going through a breakup and I've been a serial monogamous for 15 years uh and haven't been single more than two months at a time between each relationship so I think this year is being by myself and finding independence and learning how to not identify myself in a relationship I think my head exploded because that's so real I just I I don't I don't I don't I I was expecting nothing and (laughs) You, you were expecting del- nothing. Wow, thanks, no. Vanessa. <laughs> can we redo that moment? I was expecting nothing. No, I didn't know what I, I guess. I, okay. I was expecting a shitty answer. <laughs> but that was good. <laughs> that, that exceeded my my terrible expectations. No, I, I guess, I, guess um, I mean, probably because I don't know anything about you. It's like, it's like I didn't know what to expect. And I think that is an important process. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't How have to are you go doing around. so far? I'm okay. Yeah. 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 I'm all right. You, what about you guys? What's your one thing you could want for yourself this year? It doesn't have to be as good as that answer. It can be nothing. Yeah. It can be nothing. <laughs> I'm going to die later. I'm just going to like curl up into a ball. <laughs> go on. What do I want for myself? I think, I mean, I think... We should probably do is probably get back into therapy and kind of like recenter myself a little bit. I feel mm-hmm. I've been a bit um, uh, scattered a little bit and kind of, you know, because marriage and buying a house and then like everything, you know, slows down and suddenly it's like, what am I living for? Yeah. Um, so just kind of trying to recenter myself and, and, uh, not um resent everything about everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that feeling where everyone sucks and everything sucks and yeah every day i time. wake up and i'm like Ugh, this again so. i think you just gotta embrace it girl <laughs> we're all gonna die soon enough like shit great another terrible day can't wait <laughs> bring it make it more yeah. terrible yeah it's gonna be so much worse yeah <laughs> How about you? Did you have enough time? Uh, I did, but I'm still gonna dart my eyes a little bit. <laughs> um, no, I think I think what's what's nice is like I talked about earlier about the boxing. It's like doing things for yourself, and I think moving from a place of should to like want. Mm. I think that's one thing that I've been working on a lot, and that sounds like I don't know self help booky, but like I you know like that verb of want is loaded i think for asian americans because a lot of times they're conflated right like should and want is actually the same thing Mm -hmm. because all the things you're supposed to want are the things you were told you should want and um Mm. so i think with and i I think a lot about my creative projects um you know and 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 even my health it's like yeah you should do it because you value yourself you know and and um so you know doing the podcast and and working on 
my documentary, which I haven't worked on in a very long time. That's something that should be important to me because I made it for a reason, Mm -hmm. you know, like in the same way that you've had this moment, you know, what can I do with the documentary to keep pushing it and keep putting it out there for other people? Um, And I'm also writing something so like and that I'm really excited about. So like not just like emotionally like excited about something and then you're like but now I'm tired you know like is it the thing that you asked me to help you with Uh, we can talk about later it's it's, it's connected with that there's just like a bunch of like like creative projects that I'm excited about that Mm -hmm. and then I'm bringing other people in so like even with the documentary um, like I'm having my friend uh, re- edit a trailer for me so that I can start putting it back out there and then and then I'm helping her with the sound design for her film so it's like it's like all these different things are things that I want you know and not like it's always easier for me to do a project that's connected with somebody else Mm because then it's like somebody's relying on you to get that done and Mm -hmm. it's like no now you're just relying on yourself to like show up for yourself Mm -hmm. and I think that's something that I want for this year especially because I moved for that very reason you know, like, mm-hmm. cause I could have been doing the work that I've been doing for like, I think a long time, like, and be good at it and feel really good at it. But here, like I, I, at the tech company that I work for, I'm constantly experiencing imposter syndrome and like, like having these moments of panic of like, am I doing enough? Am I, am I really contributing? Am I really value added? Like all these things. So then I think that's, that's the stuff that I'm working on for this year. So yay. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Bitch. Let's not talk about Myers Briggs. I I take it back. <laughs> so um, I guess thank you. Yeah, Anna. thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. Well, I'm gonna keep watching your videos, oh, and I'm gonna you. keep an eye out for your book too. Thank you so much, guys. June thirteenth. Yes. All yes. right. Um, anything else? Anything uh, else? no, I think yeah. that was. Yeah. So visit Anna Akana online. Um, you know all those pluggy things that I'm so good at I know we we, we should come up with a script (laughs) help us out a lot but thank you thank you very much and I hope um, your drive back is a safe one it's the it's the weekend where you know California was overtaken by a storm and it wasn't like a yeah metaphorical storm it was a real storm it's a huge storm yeah Yeah. so cool stay dry thank you thank you